Hello and welcome once again to the Morbid Museum. We are your hosts, Katie Mead and Luke Boyd. Happy April, everybody. Welcome back. How's it going? Welcome back. It is April. It is. So we are here to discuss the history of uh, the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Wait, I mean the... (laughs) (laughs) On today's podcast, we are going to be discussing the Titanic, uh, the story. We're going to raise the story of the ruined hulk of the tragic ocean liner. That famously saved Enriqueta Marti. That did, yes. As en- as Enriqueta Marti is languishing in a Barcelona jail. In a Barcelona jail. Um, uh, the, st- the steamship Titanic is steaming its way across the, the Atlantic. And this legendary boat, as we know it, fell from the surface of the Atlantic to the ocean floor over 110 years ago. This week, 111 years ago. So crazy. As Bill Bobag and said, today is my 111th birthday. birthday. <laughs> I can't stand it. So this tragedy, of course, claimed the lives of more than 1,500 souls, as they're often described on yeah. ocean vessels. And it has ensnared the imagination of millions, including Katie and myself. And why do you think that is, Luke? What, do, what is the hold that Titanic has on everybody? I There's been other th- wrecks. There's been other... There has. You know? I think it's the romance, it's the expansiveness, it's the orderedness of the Edwardian period Mm. that it pierces so powerfully. You have this blind faith in technology and industry Mm. and progress, literally steaming across an ocean, like through as as time goes upward. And it's just like, nope, Mother Nature, you know, sort of steps in and corrects that feeling. It's Um, very humbling when you think of how far we've come in so many ways and we can just get taken out by a volcano a hurricane a tsunami like yeah she wins at the end of the day right or you could or you could be a body phaeton that is in a space plane and then well, dropped into a volcano that's no a whole i mean <laughs> my phaetons are fine they're out you're clear i'm clear you were clear. i was you were clear, clear. <laughs> you were clear. god damn it and this still <laughs> happened so we're going to be talking not so much about the story of the titanic sinking which let's be honest it's been it's been done oh yes um <laughs> she's been done and i was trying to find the morbid subject that i thought was underreported like mm-hmm. i don't know the dogs or the the cats and the pets <laughs> that, were, <laughs> that were lost the goldfish of the Titanic. Yeah. Johnny's goldfish. Like, come on. That's not fun. Sad, morbid, yes, but not not, not, not satisfying. Not great. So we're going to be really zooming in on the rediscovery of the Titanic in 1985, which mm-hmm. I think is where we dip into the story, you and I, because our childhood was really, really formed there. Completely colored by that. Completely. And so since that rediscovery by Robert Ballard and Jean-Michel in uh, 1985, there was, there's been an ethical debate that's been going on for more than 30 years about disturbing the wreck, about recovering artifacts, and there's a lot of ethics swirling around this. And as we are recording, we are recording on the 111th anniversary of the, the voyage right now, 111 years ago, the boat is between uh, Southampton and New York, but on April 14th, it goes down beneath the waves. Um, there's also a Titanic traveling exhibit in New York City right now, bespeaking the uh, evergreen power of the story. So at the top of the pod, we want to acknowledge that um, the Titanic is one of our shared obsessions. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Big time. Big time. And Katie, why don't you drop us into sort of where it started for you? Oh, my gosh. I mean, I feel like the Titanic really 
came on my radar when I was still pretty young, probably like middle schoolish was the first time that I ever heard it get mentioned. I caught like bits and pieces of the movie and the band played on. Is that the name of the one from the like black and white one? There's a night to remember. A night to remember. Thank oh, and the band played on is the AIDS crisis one. <laughs> That's a different one. <laughs> but you're, you're, of course, acknowledging the string bit quartet. Correct. That's like playing, yeah, which is very powerful. Yeah. I'm Actually. tired. Anyway, yes. Because <laughs> my mother loves the black and white That's, one. I love that movie too. And, my mother's a big And her TM favorite girl. part, which would be when the guys on the other ship are like, there's a ship there before. Yes. <laughs> there isn't one there now. Yes. <laughs> Let's go to bed, shall we? Oh, nighty night. Oh, anyway, should you? Um, um, so yeah, that was that was like my first glimpses of it, and then of course the late '90s, the movie comes out, the musical yeah. comes out, yeah, and of course that's my big background is theater, and so that was a huge deal also, and them doing that on stage is incredibly hard and impressive and amazing. The movie, I think it's important for people who maybe have only watched the movie in recent years and didn't see it when it came out, you don't know the impact that it had to an audience at that time because the visuals were terrifying. I mean, like the quality of everything. And then when you really took a peek inside and learned how accurate James Cameron was and a lot of the choices he made and not accurate in others, but we're not going to get into that right now. Um, mm. But visually the accuracy and the way that he captured the event. And I think he's the first time that you saw it where the ship splits, right? That it right. for so long, it had been like it, it went down in one big giant yeah. dive. Right. Yeah. That's an important part of the story. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, that's been my relationship with it. And, you know, I was at a perfect age for Titanic too for the romance side of it. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, same. Yeah, no. So I was like the perfect age for that too. And actually I was too young, but yes. No, you're way too young. <laughs> <laughs> what year was it Sorry again? God. Was it 96? 97. 97. It was 97. Oh yeah, no, I was 13. I was like primed and ready. <laughs> Yeah, I was a little young. I was a little young. You were a little young. Yeah, the boobies must have really been surprising. <laughs> uh, I have a lot to say about that. So, um, so yeah, you go in. Yeah, for me, it was extremely similar. I remember, I don't know who had it, if it was my dad or a neighbor or a cousin. I had, maybe it was in the library. I mean, I, I remember I had deep connection with the National Geographic issue. Oh, yeah. So I was born after that happened, technically, right? So, yeah. like, I was a baby, like, after the discovery of the Titanic. But I I had a copy of the um, National Geographic when Ballard discovered the Titanic. And it had okay, this Okay, so it came out, out in Nat Geo. Okay, I didn't know how it... It had this okay. fold-out diagram. Mm. And it was, of course, a illustration, like a beautiful painting of what they saw. Because the photography wasn't very good then. Yeah. And it was a beautiful rendering of this hulk of the Titanic, half of the ship, and this little Alvin, you know, uh, submersible with a light kind of shining light on, the, so on cool. the vessel. And it was just the most insane thing. And I poured over these things like in Time Magazine always had amazing diagrams and like infographics. And as a kid, I, I really very visual. So that stuck with me. And I remember like there were book fairs at my Catholic school <laughs> growing up. The best day of the year. Best day of the year. Last day of the year, you would get the catalog and your mom would like, you know, let you circle the five books you wanted or two books you could have. Oh, like, you know, whatever, $10, $10 got $20. you so far. <laughs> You're like, and I'm so thrilled to have books to read for the next six months. <laughs> 
and <laughs> and the way it worked is the book fair would be going on and if you like pre-ordered something the books would like be deposited on your desk when you came back from recess and it was the most magical thing it was like a book santa anyway so i i had this this little picture book of the titanic <gasps> treasured treasured dog-eared poured over it and so this is like when the movie's coming out saw the movie at my friend john mezzanotti's house i was probably 11 yeah scandalized completely scandalized yeah horribly scarred deformed um (laughs) and yeah the kate winslet was like i couldn't believe people looked like that i couldn't believe people took their clothes off and like it was just a whole (laughs) being catholic being young being gay not knowing i was gay like (laughs) craziness so so sheltered and Mm -hmm. yeah and you know that was an experience because it was like there was two vhs tapes oh yeah the first vhs tape was like that could be its own movie and it's a great movie honestly they sail off into the sunset and it's so me and my cousin laura we would watch we watched it endlessly we watched it over and over and over again and sometimes she and i would do this thing where if we weren't at each other's houses we would sync up our vhs (laughs) on the phone Oh, and we would literally watch the entire so that means we were on the phone for three hours by the way watching the movie so sometimes yes. the first one would end and we'd be like you know what i'm good i don't think we need to do the sad part today <laughs> and it was literally like the sinking is the second half of the yeah, movie because the first half it just ends with like mm, it's a little ominous but nothing bad has happened yet per se <laughs> yeah yeah so the movie is such an iconic thing and it did change everything mm-hmm. it was the, it's, it was the biggest movie of all time for a long long, long time. time and i think i think only things like avatar have beaten it so james cameron is just you know killing it also i think we should acknowledge for a moment the fact that when you and i worked together at the 911 museum titanic had a reprisal mm. in our lives <laughs> in that we were so conversant in conspiracy theories we about september 11th <laughs> it's true and it was literally part of our job to like research and find pivoting answers out of conspiracies mm-hmm. and once we had like the 10 conspiracies that were the big ones yeah but then we kept finding other ones <laughs> in our spare time and we kept trying to psych each other then out. it became a hobby it became a hobby and so it was like right who can find the craziest conspiracy theory and then that also conflated with the Titanic, because people who trade in conspiracy theories, often when you buy into one, you have to buy into all the other conspiracy yeah. theories as yes. well. So the whole idea of did the steel melt on 9-11 <laughs> versus did was the steel cleft in twain uh, on the Titanic yes. by the iceberg? I think you can I think you can summarize the 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 analogy. There well, different ends of the spectrum would also say that it was both were committed by aliens. So mm. <laughs> the steel doesn't even thank matter. You for, thank you for raising that. Yes. Yeah. Super important. Lots lots of raising going on. Mm-hmm. Um so we could obviously talk about the Titanic till we're blue in the face, mm-hmm. but let's get to it, shall we? Yes, let's. So the Titanic was the largest ship in the world. As Bruce Ismay says in the movie, the largest thing made by the hand of man. It was called <laughs> the ship of dreams. <laughs> it's going to take the long time. This is going to be longer is, than the movie. <laughs> this is gift. There is no second tape. Um, so... <laughs> This is part of the White Star Line. It's part of this Edwardian era of uh, transatlantic uh, trade, commerce, mail ships, steamers. Basically, these ships were taking people back and forth to travel, but they were also taking mail. And that was really, I think, how they made a lot of their money and had a lot of their business. Mm -hmm. So the boat leaves Southampton on April 10th, 1912, heading for New York. And it's got over 2,000 people on board. It's the largest ship of its time. On April 14th, 
it strikes an iceberg, and in the course of two hours, it sinks beneath the calm, cool waters of the Atlantic. And so we talked before about how this event has ensnared the imagination of the masses and the zeitgeist. And again, it comes to that blind faith in industrial technology. The, mm -hmm. the ship was called the unsinkable Titanic, and that was the assumption going into it. So it defies the order of the Anglo-Atlantic world that was dominating at the age. Do you remember Dr. Schoenfeld, who we worked oh, with yeah. at September 11th? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I loved him. A quote that he would always talk about in his emotional, I'm sorry, psychological first aid discussions with our, with our field teams was the assumptive world. Yeah that this event is a disruption of the assumptive world. And what is the assumptive world? The sun will rise, the sun will set. The sky is blue, the grass is green. There are certain things that whatever happens, we assume will happen. And those are also things like planes that take off and land yep. and boats that that leave and that depart and embark and come Get back to home. their destination. So yeah. exactly. And so this was a complete, you know, missile into that, if it were. Yeah. Um, and to quote Lord Grantham, Every mountain is unclimbable until someone climbs it. So every ship is unsinkable until it sinks. You did not just quote Downton Abbey. <laughs> oh, yeah. So the first episode of Downton Abbey, folks. I know. Is the they hit, they as, hit the ground as, running in episode as one. As Enrique Marti is languishing in the Barcelona prison. Um, <laughs> the heir to Downton Abbey dies on the Titanic, and the whole drama starts there. Mm -mm. Oh, she never God, even loved just, him. I could just smell the iron papers from here. Um, <laughs> so the disaster, of course, was preventable. There were so many uh, examinations and yes. um, investigations of this. Warnings of ice were conveyed to the steamer by other ships in the area, including the Baltic and others. Titanic was moving fast, as we know from the movie, which is which is true. That's accurate, uh, right? Bruce, yeah. Bruce Ismay, who was the head of the White Star Line, was trying to break a record, trying to exceed expectations. This is the maiden voyage. Let's get her you know, into port on time. So he sort of pushes Captain Smith to put the ship at full throttle, as it were. The night of April 14th, Titanic was going 21 knots, or about 24 miles per it's hour. very fast. Which is fast for a big-ass boat big -ass that boat, you yeah. can't turn. Right. Yeah. When something is coming towards you, you cannot easily get away from it. That's right. So there was poor visibility and the iceberg was sort of an optical illusion because it's ice. It does not stand out in the ocean. It was a clear night, but it was cold. You know, they saw the iceberg, but it was way too late. You know, they they radio from the from the watchtower iceberg right ahead and they <laughs> say hard to starboard. They're turning the boat and it still scratches the side. So as you said, Katie, at the top of the show, how did the Titanic sink? Ti survivors who made it out alive, who were traumatized, had a very sort of cohesive account. They said that the boat sort of slid very slowly, two hours, not that slowly, but slowly into the ocean. And the prevailing thought for many years is that the Titanic sunk in one piece. Yeah. But what we know from the discovery of the Titanic is something different happened. But before we get to that, I want to just take a little digression mm -hmm. and talk a little bit about historical imagination for a second. How familiar are you with Clive Cussler's Raise the Titanic? Not at all. Okay, so uh, Clive Cussler, big like action adventure novelist of the 1960s and 70s, like a Tom Clancy type. Okay. He has these adventure stories with a main character named Dirk Pitt. Okay. <laughs> Gets, yeah. Go on. So Dirk Pitt is- Not a porn there's star. An event <laughs> so good. So it's a- Dirk Pitt is on this adventure. Apparently, in this story, this the idea is that the Titanic at the bottom of the ocean contains a un, a, a hidden load of a made up mineral called bazanium. Oh, and oh, oh, 
<laughs> Surprising this was not in, you know, James Cameron's really? Titanic. So, <laughs> so the idea is that the ship went down and no one knew like that there was this big, massive mineral deposit. We got to get the deposit and we'll also get the Titanic. So mm-hmm. Dirk Pitt is the master of this uh, mission. They go down to the Titanic in the 1970s. They patch up the holes, okay. you know, <laughs> underwater. <laughs> Two miles down, and they use pressurized air mm-hmm. to bring her up. Okay. So they raise the Titanic. <laughs> good for them. And there's a movie. Yeah, there is. Oh, it's so good. Okay. So I, I've never seen the thing in its totality. Sir Alec Guinness is like a survivor of the Titanic disaster who, like, you know, tells Richard Jordan, who plays Dirk Pitt, like, oh, you know, she was a beautiful ship and she had beautiful furniture and he is the flag. When you pull her from the ocean, put the flag back on her. The visuals when they pull the Titanic out of the water are incredible. Oh, really? So, like, mm. it's like this miniature, of course, but she pops out of the water like slow motion. And it's like this beautiful, this music, like, oh, and she's like rising out of the water and she's perfectly intact. Like, <laughs> one smokestack is like, eh. otherwise, <laughs> she looks beautiful. Not a scratch on her. Not a scratch on her. I guess they had to patch, put some WD 40 on her, patch well, her up, did it. and send her back. The fish did it while it was down there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like so stupid. And then they tow her into New York right by the World Trade Center. Oh, no. oh yes. Oh, yes. Oh, no. That's so stupid. It's so bad. It's so good. Um, Cry I can't. So this is so problematic in real life. Like the water pressure at the ocean floor is not good for anything. This isn't good science. Let's start there. Not good science. It's great fantasy. Sure. And Clive Cussler comes up in other conversations (laughs) about like raising the Hunley and other things in the Confederates. It's very interesting. So let's get back to reality. Mm. So in the late 1970s, Dr. Robert Ballard, a scientist at the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute, is so obsessed with finding the Titanic. It is one of his life's goals. And Robert Ballard is a hero to many a boy and girl Mm -hmm. who fell in love with the Titanic and they discovered the Titanic. So he couldn't find funding. He wanted to do it, but like many things, you you need millions of dollars. And so he was able to sort of hoodwink the Navy into funding his efforts because the Navy, the U.S. Navy, was interested in finding several sunken Cold War vessels that had nuclear technology. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. So the idea is that, well, let's see what those nuclear reactors are doing to the environment. And let's see if the Ruskies uh, got those nukes. (laughs) The Reds. So... Yeah, so it's the Cold War, baby. So um, there's two two ships called the Thresher and the Scorpion. That's cool. And those are cool names. So cool. So cool. And like, yeah, wasn't there a band Scorpion in the yeah. 80s? Like, this is very... Scorpions. It was a cool uh, time for Scorpions. <laughs> Yo, Scorpions were mm-hmm. not so hot nowadays. I don't know. No. Um, since, the, since the mummy, they've gone down. That's um, probably s- it. That's probably the genesis right there. I think so. So, however, to mask their operations, Ballard was saying, oh, we're looking for the Titanic. Like they were saying that so the the Russians wouldn't necessarily kind of smell what they were Ooh. up to. So he has the best cover story. Hey, guys, let's just say we're looking for the Titanic. <laughs> so he found the Thresher and the Scorpion. And then the Navy's like, okay, you nerd, find your damn Titanic. Stupid little boat. <laughs> and so Ballard found that the lighter pieces of the Thresher and the Scorpion, the idea, the presuming sort of uh, thought of the time was a boat that's so heavy like the Titanic or a nuclear sub just sinks like a like a yeah. weight into the bottom sure. of the ocean. And that's true of like a big motor or a big piece of hulk of, of like a hull. 
But a lot of times what Ballard discovered is that the Thresher and the Scorpion drifted with the current as they sunk and went down on a trajectory. So he created a model of that, basically that geometry showing the angle. And he modeled that on the ti- for the mm-hmm. Titanic based on what happened to the Thresher and Scorpion. Fantastic science. Smart. And so Ballard, is a, it's a French and American co-expedition. So Dr. Ballard and Jean-Louis Michel are the co-discoverers of the Titanic. And they go down in 1977, they find nothing. In 1985, they go back in September and they discover the Titanic. That's crazy. After several passes and there's video and photo of them in the submersible finding the boat. And it's just so powerful Mm -hmm. to think about that moment. And they make some pretty startling discoveries. They find the, the Titanic's in two big pieces. So the bow section, the front, is fairly intact. It looks pretty good. So the front two-thirds of the ship is there. But the stern section is, like, blown Mm -hmm. up. Um, So basically what they discover is that the front of the ship got filled with water, pulled the ship down, and the back part with all this sort of uh, air and pressure sort of snapped off, and the two pieces broke away. So the stern section is described as, like, imploded. Really, when it hit the ocean floor, it was going very fast. Yeah. You know, talk about 9-11. They use words like pancakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all the, flo- the floors of the ship like went down. And it's really hard to recognize, whereas the front of the ship looked really yeah. good. There is a debris field that's discovered. So it's a five by three mile area on the ocean floor where all these artifacts and debris were trickling out of the ship as the two pieces went down. Thousands of objects, furnishings, dinnerware scattered as the hulks fell or ejected from the stern on impact when that when that piece went down. Hundreds of personal effects indicating the remains of victims, which by and large would have been consumed by marine life and bacteria, leaving behind only what was inedible to a fish, a piece of shoe leather, felt, clothing, things like that. So we see some really, you know, kind of disturbing images. Oh, it's super morbid. I mean, it's really creepy. Like you looking at that as a young child is like, huh. (laughs) And I I think in the movie, there's that moment where they find like the doll in Mm -hmm. the sand. And it's got like one eye. Oh, it's spooky. And it's just. It's very spooky. And I think young, being young and like seeing the, that stuff, it doesn't hit me the same way as it does now. Like understanding yeah. the gravity of what that means when you see a doll. You know what I mean? Like it's it's very yeah. different. And grappling with loss yeah. when you're young, you don't necessarily have those same feelings. Invested. And not on that scale. And you, no. And you and I have worked at sites of trauma. Yeah. And we know we often draw comparisons to understand how to do the work. And of course, with a site like September 11th, we draw comparisons to a site, you know, chronicling the Holocaust. Yeah. And what is the most powerful item from the Holocaust? The shoes. Yeah, it's right? one of them. Or the, you know, the jewelry. Personal the things facts. that were removed. Yeah. Exactly. Removed and masked and bespeak, you know, suffering mm-hmm. and murder. Yep. The difference here being that this is a sort of more of a natural disaster. So the submarine canyon where all of this material now exists is called Titanic Canyon, which I thought mm-hmm. was really interesting. So this is a big part of the story, folks. Ballard could have, but chose not to make a salvage claim on the vessel. Now, this was sort of new to me. This is like pirate law. When you find a ship like that, when, you are, when you're credited with discovering it, as they were, you have the preeminent privilege to say, I have salver rights. Of like he this. would own everything he finds? Like he could be like, I make a claim, I put my flag down, this is all mine, wow. don't touch. Wow, 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 wow. 
He could have done that. Sold it or kept it or whatever. Commercialized it, whatever, just sealed it. He could have made that claim. He's not about that. That's not the kind of guy he he didn't because he's a good guy. He's a good guy. So he said that would have been like grave robbing. So he didn't make a claim. So what happens? Hundreds of unregulated dives. Other people do. (laughs) Once the coordinates get out, it goes crazy. So the movie comes out, forget about it, right? It's a huge industry. It's terrible. Hundreds of dives to the site take place over the ensuing years. And Titanic's deterioration, which is naturally occurring with the rusting of the Hulk, is accelerated by this greatly, which breaks our heart. In 1994, the RMS Titanic Incorporated, a salver company, becomes the chief salvage agent of the Titanic's wreck. And they display traveling exhibitions, which I have seen before when I was young. Mm -hmm. I saw it in Massachusetts. I've seen it since. It's a very famous traveling exhibit. And uh, they offer views of these artifacts and relics. So, you know, a relic is something like like a piece of history that doesn't necessarily have a powerful story to tell. Like it's a piece of like curtain from Robert E. Lee's coach. Like it's a relic. It's not like something that tells you anything about what happened. It's just not emotional. Right. So, (laughs) but the thing is, what's different is too, is that these artifacts, because they speak to the Mm -hmm. victims, there is something about the power there. So a lot of these items were recovered after the sinking, you know, from floating bodies that were bobbing on the water, you know, and were traded and then bought by the company. And then those that were salvaged from the ocean floor. They've collected as of 2000, 2005, 5,000 artifacts. I bet they've gathered more since then. Yeah. That's amazing. (sighs) And what happens is Dr. Ballard has spoken on this extensively. There's so many talks he's done, and he's such a charismatic speaker. I'm just obsessed Mm. with him. One of the things he points out is that when the submersible crafts land on the deck of the Titanic, they poke into the hull. And he shows you these holes in the the ship that were literally made by these submarines going, poof, and just like, you know, just gouging into oh, the Oh, I steel. didn't know they were doing that. I didn't know they were landing on oh. the ship. That's it gets it gets more That's, dark. Okay. So, get this. This is this is news to me. Breaking news. When divers recover something of substantial weight, they have to leave something behind at the ocean floor so they can rise again to the surface. Because the submersible oh. can only regulate its own weight. Oh. So they are rigged to, to ballast like whatever thousand pounds sure, yeah, the no, submarine no. is, right? And so if they are adopting more weight, they have to dump something. They have to get rid of weight. Yeah. So what do they do? They leave shit behind right oh, at the Titanic site. So they dump no. chains, they dump bags of like, I don't know, ballast and sand and shit. And so they're liter- literally littering at the site, disturbing where people died or where their remains were housed. And so it's really quite disturbing. And visit the Louvre, but you don't stick your finger in the Mona Lisa when you visit. That's not even a good comparison. It's like <laughs> it's very polite. To- <laughs> yeah, it's like, like taking the dookie. Isn't it? I was just gonna say it's really <laughs> taking a dump, <laughs> <laughs> which is protest when they do that. <laughs> sure. I mean, that is art. Hey. That is another layer of climate change. Okay. Um, <laughs> So what's going on? So Ballard has been trips to Washington since he's made the discovery. And the first thing that happens is the RMS Titanic Memorial Act, which happens in 1986. This is the first of many sort of legal things we're going to be talking about in the next few minutes. So this act of the U.S. government, of the Congress, designates the site of the wreck as an international maritime memorial. Now, Mm -hmm. 
by that, the U.S. doesn't have a claim on it. It's literally just saying, well, we, the U.S., are saying it's an international marine memorial. <laughs> you know, we, yeah. we're just saying that. We, it's not binding, right? We know this doesn't mean anything. We're just pointing it out. The RMS Titanic Memorial Act is aimed to protect the site from salvagers, encourage recognition of the wreck as a maritime memorial to those who lost their lives when it sank, mm -hmm. promotes the development of international agreement, providing for the protection of the wreck, cultivating internationally recognized guidelines for research, exploration, and if appropriate, salvage activities. So their thing is like, let's preserve it. Let's acknowledge it should be preserved. And President Reagan spoke when this law was passed. And he was like, well, I, I like this law, but I don't really think that it's, it's a good thing that sovereignty of the United States is given to this treaty. So he was kind of saying like, this goes against my principles with it being like international cooperation, but this is overall a good thing. Yeah. Womp. Fucking so Reagan tightest. says, Reagan, whatever, bitch. And Reagan's like, okay, I invite other nations to take part in this endeavor. Mm -hmm. So that put a pin in that for 10 years before anything even happens on that. Jesus Christ. Oof. Oof. Okay. So <laughs> enter the United Nations. <laughs> so in 2000, well, so 2001 now. Okay, when mm -hmm. nothing else is going on. Um, Thank God. <laughs> it was quiet. There's a convention on the protection of underwater cultural heritage at UNESCO. Very exciting <laughs> stuff. And so these do-to-do's get together and they decide that there should be international cooperation for the protection of underwater cultural heritage. They mm -hmm. set some ground rules. So they're doing some work. They're not just saying we should do this. They're setting some ground rules. All right. They're calling that's, that's for That's more than most do at the UN. Absolutely. They're calling for preservation. They're discouraging commercial exploitation, you know, waving their finger and ensuring that parties give proper respect to human remains. Okay. We're going somewhere now. They also say that signing parties should undergo underwater archaeology training and conservation training, and mm. that the UN will help provide funds and resources to do that. So this is the weird thing about this, Katie, is that these things happen, and it takes a long time for them to actually move. So this Convention to Protect Underwater Cultural Heritage at the UN is adopted in 2001. Mm -hmm. It does not go into effect until 2009. Oh my gosh. Because because the agreement states that 20 nations have to deposit their instruments <laughs> signing the law, the the agreement essentially. It's like a treaty. Yeah, so they true. finally get 20 nations and I looked at it and I couldn't find the UK or the US, which I was like also big Shonda that the US actually doesn't give a shit about the United Nations, even though we like started it. It's in New York City. Right. And we like never do anything they, they wanted to do. No. Just ever. No, uh, also, like specifically for this, for mm -hmm. the UK and the US to not be involved when it literally the whole story is about the US and the UK. <laughs> right. And maybe the United States was too distracted by the fact that in 1997, a few years before, they finally sat down with France, Canada, the United Kingdom, and the United States. They sat down to seek out that treaty that was put out mm -hmm. in 1986 by that first Memorial Titanic Act. So this is so freaking confusing. It's super confusing. <sighs> it's insane. So they, they go into negotiations from 1997 to 2000. And they come up with another treaty called the Agreement Concerning the Shipwrecked Vessel RMS Titanic. Oh, my God. <laughs> which is designed to regulate public access, artifact conservation, and salvage rights within the envelope of the wreck site and the debris field. Now, mm -hmm. 
the UN needed 20 nations to sign the treaty. How many nations does this treaty need to go into effect? Uh, 3,000. <laughs> they only need two. <laughs> they need two. So at some point... Oh, oh, okay. At some point, the French and the Canadians fucked off. They just fell off. They never came back to the table. Mm -hmm. So it was signed by the UK in 2003. Good, good, It was good. signed by the US in 2004. Great. But it didn't go into effect for another 15 years. Is there anything left? Is the <laughs> ship even still there? This is basically what's happening. They're just like riding the shit out. They think by 2030, it's going to be gone. Yeah, so, they're just hoping it's not a problem anymore. So the two nations sign it, but it still didn't go into effect. And the UK was waiting on the US because the US actually never registered its signatory. It's some bullshit. Oh. I couldn't really figure it out. So what happens in between then? Well, here's a, here's a quick Go question. Ahead, please, like, and please, please, please. have the answer to this. Maybe your, your research didn't extend this far. Is there any precedence for this in terms of like underwater wreckage and preservation? And no. like, yeah. So that's, I mean, I, I guess I kind of understand why it's so complicated because yeah. where anytime you're doing anything that involves open waters, it's, it's complicated. So it is. And the UN says that, like, hey, we acknowledge there is nothing on the books about this, and there is really yeah. no precedent. And again, I think it's kind of like, can a salver just take it and, like, sell it and just deal with it? Because this is really hard, you guys. Like, this is a lot of work. <laughs> and, like, how do you enforce any of these things? You have underwater police? Yeah. You have submarine police? What are you doing? So... In between this, in between all this, as the law is just sitting there, the ink drying and the paper rotting, um, mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. centenary comes along, the centennial of the Titanic sinking in 2012. Yes, it did. Now, what happens then is the UN has a special law or rule that because the Titanic lies in international waters, when it reaches 100 years old, it's automatically protected by UNESCO under the 2001 convention. There you go. So that was smart. Somebody was had their thinking cap on to say, hey, we don't know when the fuck this is going to go in. I wonder how many, how many people the year before that just got after it. <laughs> it's just like, it's and also there's so many other things going on in international politics. This I is such know. a low thing. Like we, we love it, but, but I also, I understand, but here's the thing. The people who focus on that stuff are not the people focusing on like, you know, the Israeli Palestinian conflict. They're, can you imagine, different jobs. can you imagine you're a Titanic lobbyist and how frustrating it is year after year when you're like, yeah, we didn't do anything this year. We, we went to 10 meetings. We hosted some symposia and, uh, I France, just imagine people from France the Ukraine inside. giving you mad side eye, like shut the fuck up. Right. <laughs> you can't have this meeting room because of the Titanic convention for real. Kill yourself. Um, <laughs> so, so the thing automatically becomes protected. It becomes an underwater sort of protected asset. And at that time, uh, the day after the anniversary, Robert Ballard, makes a press conference and mm. he shows new photos of the wreck site and he is making a very strong claim that there are still human remains at the titanic mm -hmm. and huge this deal creates a huge backlash so yeah. there's a huge feeding frenzy so it basically becomes bob ballard versus james cameron dun, dun, dun. <laughs> oh 
the battle of the childhood icons. So um, James Cameron is like, screw this. This is not real. There are no remains left. The fish ate them all. Very callous. And he says, well, I've been on over 30 dives to the Titanic and the government never asked me for my opinion. <laughs> and he says, I never encountered human remains. Uh-huh. More than a thousand people from the Titanic were never recovered. And so we can make suppositions about or assumptions about what was degraded by, you know, uh, microbiology and what was eaten and what was, you know, taken up. Sure. But Ballard is saying when you look at these photos of, you know, a collapsed suit sort of or an outfit on the floor of the, the ocean, that it's evident that the way the sand is displaced, that a body hit that part of the ocean floor. And mm. that for a moment, they rested there, maybe before they were deteriorated. That was their resting place. Yes. And that's the important thing. And what's left behind is their clothing, which again, is takes longer to degrade. So again, you and I also worked this September 11th. We know about the minuteness of human remains and how important that can be yes. in this story. Yeah. And how Depending on the trauma or the incident that occurs, human remains can be reduced to something very, very small that a naked eye cannot see. Certainly not a, you know, uh, a fisheye lens on a camera, you know, two miles under the ocean. But here's the big and interesting difference is, mm -hmm. you know, the people who were fighting for the sanctity of the site were the family members. Yes. Saying like, yeah, no, I still don't have my loved one's remains because they disintegrated essentially into into nothingness. I mean, yes. that's the case with my family. We we probably will never get any remains back from my uncle. So it's like now when you're so far out, of course there's like, you know, there's descendants. There's yeah. descendants. They have mm -hmm. their their Titanic ancestors are there potentially. But it's not like they have a connection with them the way that a mother and a son or anything like that. So like this guy really is he just like a very good person? <laughs> like what's his is it just what he feels is right? Yeah. So this is what's at the crux of it is that the opponents of Ballard are saying that this is just political maneuvering. You're pulling out the remains card so that we can't take more stuff from the site to study it, to learn, to sell it, to exploit it, to mm -hmm. whatever. And the feds are saying, hey, the overall goal is to protect the site as a cultural landmark. Whether you're talking about respect for the human remains or the steering the steering wheel respect or whatever it is. Yeah. Right. And that the more we touch it, like we talk about the paradox of preservation and artifact handling, the more you touch something, the more yeah. you shorten its life. So as humans, we want to engage with the object. How do we have access to the object or the asset without destroying it? That is the paradox of museology. Mm-hmm. And many bodies, of course, were swept out to sea by, by a storm that took place a few days after the Titanic sunk, or they were ingested by swarms of hungry bacteria, worms, really gross stuff. But just like in places like the USS Arizona at Pearl Harbor, many bodies were trapped in the hull. Yeah. Which preserved them. So there were those guys who were working in the electrical um, area who kept the lights on as the ship was going down. Right. They all were locked in. The guys in the watertight compartments, they were locked in. So that actually creates sort of vacuums and pressurized areas where that decomposition is arrested. So Ballard is saying, hey, just because you can't see it, just because you haven't drilled a hole into it doesn't mean it's not there, which is a similar discussion that was had at 9-11 with regard to yeah. the composites and other artifacts. So decomposition slows if the bodies were cut off from the open sea and reducing oxygen levels in these spaces. And what's interesting, Katie, is that there are many other historic wrecks, some thousands of years old, you know, where they find sandals of Romans and stuff yeah, like I that, and others much younger where they find skulls 
and yeah. you know bones so it's pretty compelling and i you know i think based on how we come down on this we would err on the side of there are likely some kind of remains there our technology may not be oh my god like it's just uh, an inevitability yeah um so it's you know it's totally dependent on on where these people were at the time of their death and what one of the scholars says is you have these micro environments that preserve bodies and so those could still be extant yeah. You know, what's crazy to me too, is like, it's, I guess it's just who I am as a person. Yeah. Like I would not want to go there <laughs> and disturb that place. You know what I mean? It's I not like the nine 11 Memorial where a this, battlefield. Is, this has been, this has been sanitized for you yes. it's not a hole in the ground anymore we've made it a memorial we've made it a place for you to come and pay you know your respects to people this is a wreckage this is the last most horrifying moments of people's lives this is exactly what it looked like then and you may or may not come across something that belonged to a real live human being and you can just take it yeah. Like, it's so hard for me to wrap my mind around that. It is. Cameron is kind of the villain of the story. And Ballard is like, really, he really wants to make the Titanic like, an, an, like a submarine museum, which is a lovely thought, my darling. Um, I mean, listen, if you could get like a huge fucking grant and make it something that we can visit virtually, like through some sort of yeah. sub camera system. That's, like that's what he wants to do. That's that's wonderful. That's the only way that at this point that people should look at it because but, otherwise it's what more do you need to learn? What do you need to do? And why do you know you, what I mean? Why do you as a person need to disturb the site? Like yeah. how selfish are we that you know we need to leave our I our, need to do my it. you know my trash in the ocean. Yeah, that's really fascinating. This and isn't a mystery either. No. You know what I mean? No. Like, we're just looky loose at this point. It's just weird. It's weird. It is. It's it's very strange. So Ballard yeah. is convinced that there are still, you know, remains to be found in the engine mm -hmm. room. So he has his theories and he has his un unexplained questions. And he's sure. gone on several dives since. And in, tw in 2012 or so, he shows photos side by side of the Hulk in 85 versus the Hulk in 2012. And it's devastating in yeah. terms of the damage that was done, the things that have been stripped from it. And a lot of folks would leave like memorial plaques sort of like putting their flag down. Oh on. God, like yeah. I was here. There's like Shit. seven plaques in a row. It's so gross. Um, so the whole thing is very unregulated. And, you know, Ballard is like, people should visit it. I'm I'm pro visitation, but you gotta be respectful. So I, I think he's very magnanimous to be as open as he is to visitation. Because if I was him, I'd be like, go away. Yeah, I mean, I would feel like any anytime you're within spitting distance of this thing, you're causing problems here. So yeah. fuck off. Because most of them aren't trained the way that you wish that they were right in how yes. to handle artifacts and yeah i mean and what's crazy is that you know ballard says there could be hundreds of remains because he said look he said the evidence is that how many shoes are there there's a lot of shoes yeah. and that means those bodies hit the floor or were or emerged from the ship after they died yeah. whereas if you know that's two miles down for goodness sake like how did that happen you know if they were carried by the current you know if they're dead that kind of thing you know the fact that they're at the floor near the site that whole site is sacred to us to a certain extent and um, depending on your class or whatever i mean we're talking about laced up boots for many yeah. of these people we're not talking about like a flip-flop <laughs> where it could just no. easily fall off <laughs> it's very it's very what you know dead horse bay was to the beach titanic is yeah. to the bottom of the ocean it's the same vibe the shoe leather the tile yeah. these 
you know, very innocuous yet semi-permanent things um, that bespeak our um, society and culture. Yeah. So back to the treaty, Ugh. if we might. <laughs> <laughs> Womp. So I hate this, that in 2019, <laughs> during the Trump administration, mm-hmm. boo is boo, Mike Pompeo, that vacuous <gasps> mess. I forgot. He happened. Okay, go on. Uh huh. That POS, yeah. as Secretary of State, submitted instruments formalizing the U.S. ratification of the agreement. So they get the credit for that shit. Fuck. Fuckity fuck fuck. You know what I... though? Fuck you, Obama. <laughs> you could have gotten the shit done. You know what? Bush. Bush was too busy invading Iraq. Obama was asleep. Um, Clinton had, you know, Clinton had Trump, stuff going the, on. And the Trump administration did a lot of this performative bullshit where they were like, oh, we're saving the Titanic. Oh, yeah, we're, we're unsealing mean, JFK documents. But nothing really happens, right? So when no. that was formalized, a huge media frenzy hits because then the British government is like, yay, we're able to save the Titanic. The U.S. finally got their act together. The treaty is now going into effect 15 years after the initial signings of the document. Hooray. Oh, my God. What the hell does it actually do? So the treaty requires that the U.K. and the U.S. regulate people and vessels under their jurisdictions and uh, their interactions with the wreck. So they grant permission or they deny licenses to permit entry to the shipwreck and or to remove items from it. So now they it has some teeth. So you have to go through How the, do you stop people from doing it? Is my question. Yeah. How do you police it? Yeah. So the NOAA, which is the federal agency in this country that's yeah, yeah, yeah. in charge of that, is supposed to be the enforcing agent because we're yeah. closer to the Titanic than the Brits are. Yeah. Um, it's very unclear how these space, co- how these space, yeah. cops, how these underwater cops, I mean, Space Force do great. Underwater <laughs> uh, it. submarine force lacking. Um, so <laughs> that is a really unclear, Katie. To do you people. imagine, I imagine them on dolphins, like rolling Absolutely. up. Absolutely. Like, yeah. You're, <laughs> yeah. You have, like a, you have like a robot dolphin that like can go down two miles. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, it's like Avatar, the halo you get with the dolphin, and it, <laughs> you connect to the halo, and you was go down, actually, down, down. Mine was way more primitive. I was picturing like the part in The Little Mermaid when King Triton comes in with the two dolphins. Oh, yeah. That's that's cute. It's cuter. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> They're encouraging other countries to join the agreement. Canada and France are invited back anytime. They have expressed no interest in, no, coming, nothing? Okay. in joining this shit show. Go ahead, um, get. Yeah. <laughs> So the deal comes into force now and it's very exciting and there, you know, um, there is Titanic tourism still happening. You may remember um, CBS Sunday morning, which is the favorite show of people over 50 um, (laughs) and myself uh, and Luke. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, They did a great piece on the company Ocean Gate that goes down to the Titanic. Um, Mm -hmm. It's a private company. So it's kind of like Elon Musk and going into space, right? So you have these private companies, they jerry-rig these subs and they send people down um, and it costs $250,000 to go down to see the Titanic. All right. <laughs> uh-huh. Which reminds me that, you know, who could who could support a museum of the Titanic? You know, John Jacob Astor, the bitches who went down with the Titanic. <laughs> those <laughs> robber barons and those yeah, exactly. rich people, the Gilded Age fucks, they could Listen, afford this. There were plenty of Gilded Age fucks who didn't die that could have done this. And how also, fitting, right, how fitting is it that in this modern Gilded Age, these this is the kind of luxury, well, we went to the Titanic for a honeymoon. <laughs> it's so funny because it's like, 
It's like, oh, that's you spent that much money to go see the Titanic. Did you donate any money to like Haiti the last time they had a hurricane? Or <laughs> right. no, it's totally misplaced. Fucking weird finances, of course, and you know. But there are Titanic weirdos. Titaniacs, as they're called. Titaniacs. I mean, like, so I I won't say her name, but my husband has a very dear friend who is a maniac. She yeah. does the things where they they cosplay Titanic. You're 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 talking to a cosplayer of the Titanic. I mean, y'all are weird. <laughs> I hosted a Titanic centennial costume party when I was in grad school. Okay, but a party is different With than public going, history. Okay, but that's yeah. different than going to conventions. Yeah. To meet with other psychopaths. <laughs> yeah, this to was dressed up. Yeah, it's different. <laughs> and we we like we had like a we we had a thing where we like you know we said prayer for the dam for the for That's the lovely. for the dead and it was like very tasteful. Yeah. There were some you know we did some photos where we tilted the camera and pretended we were tilting. You know we you know we 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 had fun. Um, so. <laughs> No but one can at, see my face, but it's deeply it's disappointing. Deeply disapproving. <laughs> and, you know, people thought when I got the job at 9-11, they were like, oh, are you going to dress up for that? I'm like, no, no, no. You don't understand. That's way too early. That's way too soon. So maybe. No, never. Years, no, never. Years, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised um, how that living history timeline works. Um, I can't. It's so bad. So Ocean Gate has you know completely got on board with these new regulations and they have plans they have dives planned for 2023 and 2024 so they're going down there and the big thing they have to do is they can't touch the ship and they don't take anything from it how close can they get they pull right up to her mm. so the cbs reporter when he goes down they go down on one dive and then like there's a problem with the airlock and they have to go back up and that oh, i remember that yeah, that happens a lot that. where it's like you spend yeah. all this money and you actually there's no guarantee you'll actually get down there. And the second time they go down, it's favorable conditions and they just come upon the bow and it's like very romantic. You know, it's it's that moment. It's recreating Ballard's discovery. So they 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 come up, they cruise around, they they get very close. Um yeah. but I don't think they permeate like the 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 barrier the, the... I would weep. <laughs> I it would be humbling. so overwhelmed by the fact that I'm doing it by the fact that like, wow, the size of this thing is so overwhelming. And then you remember like, oh my God, I'm looking at a cemetery. I'm looking at this yes. terrifying moment in history. It's so and overwhelming. It's, it's so abstract to us. Yeah. You know, it, because it's there not aren't physically real to visual us. remains either. You no. know what I mean? Not in the way that not not in terms of the human remains. You're right. But, it's just the place. But yeah. it tells a fucking story the second you look at it. It really does. Yeah. And there are, of course, a lot of interest in it's the Titanic's future. The natural rusting of the steel and the microbiology yeah. eating at it will eventually turn it into nothing. Ballard, of course, wants to restore the Titanic or arrest the decline. So he wants to make an underwater museum, which is, again, a lovely thought. <laughs> sure. um, and Where's so, that money coming from? Darling chickadee. So, My sweet, sweet boy. Sweet Dr. Bobby. Um, so where can one go to experience the Titanic unless you do have $250,000? <laughs> um, there is an amazing new museum in Ireland at called Titanic Belfast, which opened on the 100th anniversary. Oh, wonderful. Do they, play, do they uh, pay their respects to Tommy, one of my <laughs> favorite characters from Titanic? Oh my God! <laughs> Was made by a thousand Irishmen, don't you know? 
And then he gets shot. Bastardo. So sad. So sad. Bastardo. Um, so they actually build this museum at the Harland and Wolf shipyards where the Titanic oh, was built. That's so cool, it looks though. really cool. And right, you can like there's like steel things that were like steel parts of the shipyard that were made of the same steel the Titanic that's super was made cool. of. It looks yeah. amazing. I, I like can't wait to go someday. Yeah. Um, there is the National Museums of Liverpool. And they have a virtual exhibit called Titanic in Liverpool, The Untold Story. Virtual tour available online and in our show notes today. And of course, folks, we would be in remiss if we did not mention the fact that there are some very hokey pokey, schlocky, doxy <laughs> museums in this I'm country so dedicated to Titaniacs. And they are the Titanic Museum Attractions. Two of them located in the heartland of America in Branson, Missouri, and Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. Right in the middle the of the ocean. <laughs> right, landlocked as hell. And so <laughs> you may have heard there was a big backlash against like this morbid Titanic slide that was like a like a bouncy house slide. Yeah. The kids had at a party. Yeah. So this is similar to that. <laughs> but on an adult Same vibe. Scale. This is adult scale. So they have like Same a vibe. third of the Titanic replicated. And it has, it's like the ship is like cutting through the strip mall. And they have literally a fountain of water spraying at the front of the boat to simulate as if it's cleaving through Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. But just the fantastic deaths of the tastelessness. It's the worst kind of oxy schlock and terrible museum roadside America. It has, you know, the grand staircase. It has terrible actors with horrible accents. It, you know, Christmas. And are the actors playing like, real people or are they playing characters i think they're playing facsimiles but they do have the captain they do have real people and like the videos and media you always have this like british girl like this like 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 this chambermaid like hello i'm Susie, and i'm your (laughs) servant today and your first class okay this way darling and like oh your third class down here bitch and (laughs) 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 you fucking slag down there with you, you git. Um, so it's just horrible. And, you know, the same kind of things like at the Holocaust Museum, like you get a passport and you find if you live or you die at the end. Yes. You know, really gauche shit. And I mean, what I will say is that as they're... as as sliding down the Titanic. <laughs> and they have that. They have these, they have these interactive decks where you're like okay here's 10 o'clock okay here's 11 30 she's almost gone oh my god can you do it can you climb and it's like just god God, we can actually use our imagination we don't need to be like spoon-fed this experience right but this is america for you this is the disneyfication of titanic Mm. i will say their online gift shop is amazing (laughs) and i have some of their stuff It's so bad. And they, like, I kind of want to go as a museum st- student, right? I have to go. Mm-hmm. I have to understand it. And oh, is that, is that why you have to go, Luke? Is that yeah. the reason? And I want to go at Christmas time because oh, sure. they, like, decorate the Titanic for Christmas. Never made it to Christmas, you guys. <laughs> Titanic didn't have Christmas. My two favorite things, Titanic and Christmas. And Christmas. I love it. It's just awful. It's oh. just America. We can do so much better. We 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 are better than. Here's that. the thing. Can we? <laughs> We're not. That's the thing. That's <laughs> the thing. I don't. We're think absolutely we not. Can. No. This is the middle of the Confederacy, where the ship belongs, and that's where people <gasps> you and me go on vacation. So we're all part of the problem. Oh, no. um, but I want to go to Dollywood, so we should go to Dollywood. We should go to. We should go to the Pigeon Forge. Come on, Smoky have, Mountains. Have I once said no? I will not go with you. No, I haven't. <laughs> So obviously, yes. <laughs> we are committed. Um, 
We so, should be committed. <laughs> oh, yeah. Even though this was a somewhat punchy and comical discussion, it's a very serious subject and we take it very seriously. Very. Um, and also, I mean, there's so much conversation around repatriation in uh Oh, the yeah. museum world right now oh, and yeah. we've we've danced around it here and there and talked about it a little bit with the john's bones episode this is absolutely that that we we have come too far to still pretend that we can get away with barnum style shit we just can't it's true we it's know true. better and the same goes for these people just raping the titanic it's horrible that went on for so long yeah, it's it's a shame. And again, you can point the finger at Hollywood. You know, you can point the finger at our morbid obsession and the fact that we were just enough removed from it and that this event didn't have the stench of like an evil Nazi villain. You mm -hmm. know, like there were many factors that like we were discussing at the top lead to this sort of perfect recipe for a safe historical topic where you can just ex you can just skim the surface you don't have to really deal with you know the fact that this was corporate greed the yeah. fact that this represents the class system at the time the fact that you know who died was a complete reflection of how much money you had basically yeah. um and those are the people who are still there who are forgotten yeah. and that's the real story here and you know, the distance of time and the way records were kept, many people may not even realize or understand they're related to someone from the Titanic. I mean, you know, these things get passed down in the yeah, war. Yeah, that's yeah. very true. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it's a totally different era in memorialization, mm -hmm. in tragedies. And sadly, it gets boiled down to the dress that Kate Winslet wore or her boobs <laughs> or whatever, or the very, you know, charismatic uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Did you hear the story that apparently he was not? wanting to take on that role as Jack Dawson. <laughs> Is that right? I, I think he's terrible in that movie. <laughs> he's not great. And apparently, this is around the time of Gilbert Grape, and apparently when he auditioned for the role, he had an affect like that Jack was touched or had a like a gimmick like a limp or like some kind of like oh my god kind of like he's like he was that kind of actor where it's like i'm so afraid of my own instrument that i have to hide behind a gimmick or a bit maybe and... you should have. <laughs> <laughs> sorry go on no it's fine and and you know and i guess they were i guess when he auditioned they were like yeah what are you doing don't do that um <laughs> why are you, why back you, as yourself why are you like, walking like that <laughs> Yeah, and it's like, oh, in Chippewa Falls, he had an accident, blah, 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 and I fell through the ice and whatever, and I'm cold and I can't walk. I don't know. So, no, don't, we don't need that. It's Thank fine. You. Yeah. <laughs> like, you have to have sex in a Model T Ford. You need to be completely healthy. Okay? Extremely healthy. You're, you're going to need to run through a ship <laughs> for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which definitely couldn't have happened. And we will talk about that on our patreon episode <laughs> that's right folks we owe you a patreon special and so we're gonna be talking about all things titanic in our mm -hmm. next patreon special thank you thank you for listening to this episode of the morbid museum podcast please remember to rate and subscribe and review the morbid museum podcast wherever you listen please follow us on instagram and on tiktok at the morbid museum please send us an email at themorbidmuseum at gmail.com and join us on Patreon. Become an official more buddy. Until next time, we'll see you for another gallery talk inside the Morbid Museum podcast. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.